Um, we will now go uh, directly to the second and then uh, the third um, um, paper and we will have a panel discussion after the three papers and uh, it is now my pleasure to introduce to you Frederick Borer who is well known for his uh, uh, studies on uh, uh, among others on photography and archaeology uh, he is a kind of a founder also in this uh, um, field he is a professor of art in the department of art and archaeology of Hood College he has written numerous essays on the theory and practice of Western representations of ancient and modern localities in the lands at the borders and beyond the West. He is the author of, among others, Orientalism and Visual Culture, Imagining Mesopotamia in 19th century Europe, uh, published in 2003, and uh, Archaeology and Photography, published in 2011. He is currently at work on a project on the recognitions, misapprehensions, appropriations and erasures that obtain in the interplay of photography and travel in the 19th century and more recent times. And he is going to speak today uh, about transports of vision, Frederick Edwin Church's photographic collection of the Mediterranean and Middle East. Thank you so much, Fred, that you are here. Can you all hear me? Can you hear me in the back? Yeah. Uh, thank you very much for your introduction, Costanza, and also for getting my PowerPoint up. Um, I want to say thanks, first of all, to everyone who's made it possible for me to be here, um, and it is really great to be here. Um, so I begin with two quotations, um, one of which is one that already has echoed through um, discussions today, which I'm going to maybe put in a slightly different way. Um, that's the second, by the way. Um, the first one is uh, Jacques Derrida from Archive Fever, who says, the meaning of archive, its only meaning, comes to it from the Greek archaion, initially a house, a domicile, an address, the residence of the superior magistrates, the archons, those who commanded, which I put together with John Henry Parker, again speaking in Oxford, 1869-1870. It appears to me better to refer to a photograph, which is easily to be obtained or to be seen at a public library, by which he means, of course, a private library, as we call it in America. Um, than to the objects themselves from which the photograph is taken. To carry on this study formally required the power of traveling far and wide, but the art of photography enables us to pursue this study by our own fireside. So there's hardly time to tease out the correspondences and differences between these two, Jacques Derrida and John Henry Parker, first keeper of the Ashmolean, but one thing at least is clear, that the photo archive and its physical home are closely related that the collection indeed is something in and of its housing, taking the words house and home quite literally. So I want to examine here a portion of the photographic collection of the American artist Frederick Edwin Church, for which this connection of archive and home is paramount in a variety of ways, as I hope to show. Church's photographic collection Church's photographic collection uh, was assembled in and remains today a portion of the house church painstakingly designed on a high bluff overlooking the Hudson River in New York State. Called Olana, it is an Orientalist masterpiece melding Middle Eastern, Gothic, Ottoman, Persian, Mughal, Victorian, and other styles. The collection is a house, the collection that is a house indeed houses a collection. 
of artifacts, artworks, ceramics, metalwork, and much more. Hardly least among them is a collection of photographs made throughout his life, especially during his many travels. For Church, the renowned painter of locales around the globe, as for his compatriot Parker, the systematic scholar of past and present Rome, an elaborate array of distant particularities could all be assembled and consulted around the hearth in the process of summoning or recreating a desired locale. Oh, and please note the hearth that's there in the lower right-hand corner. But if for Parker the process was to be contained in a positivist scheme of reconstruction embodied by his multi-volume series, The Archaeology of Rome, for Church, images invited a more open chain of referential syntax of both combination and substitution spanning both space and time. Born in 1826, Church came of age at just the moment of photography's introduction and rapid diffusion. His archive testifies to particular ways Church engaged the world. It is a paradigmatic collection, more than 7,000 photographs in all, of a man of immense means, America's most successful artist of the mid-19th century, whose very trade was both experiencing and remaking the image of distant lands. Of course, his photo collection may also have been used by Church and his family in other ways as well, as keepsakes and souvenirs in ways which we have almost no trace, but, but not quite. Um, notably, there are no real albums in the collection, which consists almost entirely of loose photographs of various processes and formats. Um, in the customary way of house museums, the photographs have been housed in folders and classified, a process whose further implications we will consider presently. The photographs signify as a group, not only through the house's own function, but also, of course, through the host of information and imagery that constitutes the artist. Church's collection of photographs can, first of all, clearly be shown to have played a direct role in the development of his painting and imagery from throughout his career. A photograph, for instance, of um, a waterfall in Jamaica in Church's collection, probably obtained during his visit there in 1865, bears obvious correspondence to an oil sketch. Oops. Hmm. Let's change where we're going. To an oil sketch. Um, painted almost 10 years later. In the case of Church's photographs of the Mediterranean Middle East, which I want to focus on here, similar correspondences can be found. Church visited the rock-cut tombs of Petra in modern-day Jordan in a visit of 1868 and acquired photographs of them from the time of his trip, like this one of Ahazne, um, the best preserved and central portion of the city. His 1874 painting of the approach, which you see on the right, um, just as obviously utilizes the very specific visual detailing of the tomb. Now, while these two photographs may be raw material for painted visions, it is also obvious that they are not strictly copied in either case. Let's see them all there. Um, and the photograph's putative realism and exactitude is mediated in the process of conjuring an aesthetic slash experiential vision of place. The form of the waterfall is simplified and moved in relation to the foliage, while the image of Petra is subtly turned so it directly faces the viewer in a way impossible at its actual setting, in addition to its being constrained, of course, by the iris of the passageway. Notably, although we know the church made many sketches of Petra, none connects this closely with his final work. This is the closest sketch that we have. Photography here functions, then, in its best-known role for the painter as Aide Memoir, 
archive of appearances useful to the recombinant vision codified by the artist. This subordinate second order role engages sort of voluntary memory in contrast to the first order involuntary memory that Benjamin and others found to be activated in the photographic gaze itself. It is a manner of controlling or processing sense experience for perceived gain when it attempts to almost seamlessly transfer the ideational imagery of the photograph from its physical material basis onto another medium. In contrast, to look at the photographic material collected by Church as a whole, the vast majority of it unused in his art in the direct manner above is to find material objects with histories in their own right and much to say about their compiler and his work. This testimony is particularly eloquent um, for the photographic material related to the Mediterranean Middle East. So Church visited the Mediterranean and Middle East from 1867 to 69. It was his last major trip abroad. The taste that had elevated his pre-Civil War triumphs, um, Niagara, the heart of the Andes, and so on, was evolving into a new interest in a Barbizon-style landscape, one more evocative than hortatory. Even more important, Church's engagement with this part of the world differed from that of the Americans, of the Americas, and its mediations are fraught in a way distinct from Church's other imagery. To get back to the photos, for instance, while the Jamaica photograph is simply attributed to an anonymous photographer and has no external identifiers, the image of Petra is clearly a work of Peter Bergheim. Bergheim was the son of a German Jew who had converted to evangelical Christianity in the 1830s and soon after moved to Palestine. We'll see more of his work in a moment. Bergheim accompanied Church in his tour throughout the area, including Baalbek and Damascus, as, as well as Petra. Church later pronounced Bergheim's work splendid. Bergheim's primary employer, like his father, was the Anglican Mission in Jerusalem, whose official name was the London Society for Promoting Christianity Among the Jews. The promotion of Christianity was indeed a primary motivation of Bergheim's photography and indeed of Church's collection. Of all the countries pictured in Church's photos from his tour, they were by far the most devoted to Palestine. And of the photos of Palestine, um, the vast majority bear the imprint of the Palestine Exploration Fund. Founded under Queen Victoria in 1865, the PEF, which I'll just call it for sure, um, rapidly embarked on a campaign with distinctly imperialist motivations of land acquisition, meant also to promote the land through archaeology, study, and access. Its stated goal was to establish the reality of biblical sites and verify associated religious doctrine by modern scientific means. In 1871, a group of Americans founded an allied American Palestine Exploration Society. Its board of directors consisted of 49 ministers, missionaries, explorers, and industrialists together with one artist, Frederick Edwin Church. As John Davis has well noted, Church's time in the Middle East and his welcome there by officials of the Palestine Exploration Fund contributed immensely to his sponsorship of the American organization in the years just following. The photographic imagery of the earlier British organization served as model of how to evaluate the place he experienced. Like Bergheim, the photographers of the PEF specialized particularly in a brand of geopiety enlisting registering uh, individual places, routes, and sites to allow the viewer a borrowed presence meant to testify with the modern photographic apparatus and other tools of the new science of archaeology to the putative truth of the Bible. The Palestine Exploration Fund photographs as a group can be characterized by many of the tropes of Orientalist imagery common in this genre. They presented largely empty landscape for which a viewer has unquestioned access to places and monuments, 
while the contemporary inhabitants of the land are largely or completely absent. Thus, a photograph of Ein Gedi um, by the Dead Sea is a dramatic, barely populated open expanse of desert, rock, and a few camels. Ethnographic imagery is to be found safely contained, as in a portrait of a traditionally dressed fella woman um, serving in a modern household. This obeys the logic of what Johannes Fabian and others called allochronism, in which Western viewers inhabit a progressive, changing temporary temporality, seeing both past and present, while indigenous peoples remain always the same. But Church's photographs of Palestine also extend and change this arrangement in a way that fits the particular situation of both Church's painting um, as well as the political situation in which he lived, and it is one somewhat unusual to the majority of Orientalist imagery. Whereas painted Orientalist imagery of the 19th century dealt most commonly with Islam and Arabs, exemplars of almost complete cultural difference from the Christian West, the imagery of Palestine frequently deals with Jews, figures with greater claim to some commonality with Christianity. While Church's Protestant friends valued and even associated themselves with the biblical Hebrews of the Old Testament, of which they deemed the New Testament the fulfillment, they also distinguished themselves absolutely from contemporary Jews. Thus, Jews also figure as a type, as in this Palestine Exploration Fund photo of a group of Polish Jews outside their boarding house. The master text for mapping religious affiliation over cultural distinction was the basic one that the pious church was to literally swear to, namely the Bible. Thus, a post-studio photo of Arabs at prayer by Bergheim almost overplays its eagerness with an attached biblical quotation. The biblical overlay or intertext in Church's Palestinian photographs gives many of them the added dimension that embodies the tenets of geopiety. Its working can be found in a biblical photograph, uh, a photograph of biblical Ashkelon, which clearly shows the, rules, the ruins of a building with a smooth wall surface, part of which might have been a rampart or foundation. To a biblically minded viewer, this surely evoked Samson, imprisoned by the Philistines in Ashkelon, and the mighty destruction he was said to have wreaked. Indeed, since so much of the Protestant movement at this time was devoted to defending the literal truth um, of the Bible and its prophecies, this photograph could also be seen to illustrate the words of the biblical prophets. Jeremiah, for instance, states, Gaza will shave her head in mourning, Ashkelon will be silenced, while Zechariah says, Gaza will lose her king and Ashkelon will be deserted. This photograph, like innumerable Protestant homilies of the time, seeks to use the testimony of archaeology to support religious belief, saying that what the Bible described is still there to be seen, a silent, deserted land. Thus, contemporary ruins could be compelled to testify to the sinfulness of the ancient people and the work of the vengeful God they revered. Church's only major painting of Palestine, his Jerusalem of 1870, was widely assumed to be an unedited, fixed transcription of the site and was displayed and circulated with an engraved key specifying precisely the time of year and direction of view. And we'll see the key in a second. In this, it is very much different from his earlier great pictures, which were clearly understood as created compositions. More precisely, the particular nature of Church's work and audience around Palestine point his painted efforts here toward the ostensible objectivity codified in the photographs. Just the teemingness of Jerusalem against the wasted Ashkelon already signifies much to the contemporary Palestinian uh, to the contemporary Protestant viewer. Indeed, the painting itself, together with the textual key, identifying, which identifies many features, um, as you can see in the lower portion, um, 
uh, serves itself as a kind of archive of Jerusalem, or more exactly an archive of the interests of a certain kind of contemporary viewer. Oddly enough, the picture key accomplishes for the 19th century viewer something close to what the archive folder system does today with the photographs themselves, present and subsume them in a textual topography. Its laconic descriptions, Mosque of Omar, Absalom's tomb, etc., echoing the descriptors we have already seen written on folders. These visual materials of church's trip replete with so many kinds of associations and significance, both visual and otherwise, lean toward the particular episteme of photography, not merely on visual, but rather on representational grounds. In the process of a definition of what he calls repleteness, Nelson Goodman in Languages of Art states the following. Descriptions are distinguished from depictions, not through being more arbitrary, but through belonging to articulate rather than dense schemes. The necessity to properly gloss the landscape, to discipline its viewing toward an articulable interpretive frame, here dominates. That is, the photograph and even Church's Jerusalem painting is turned to an extraordinary degree towards what it specifically describes and not just heterogeneously depicts. It is an imagery to be literally read as well as, or even more than viewed, and bespeaks not just viewing but participation in an idealized holy land mapped onto a partly coterminous visual locale, physical locale. Okay. But that is not the only key in which Church's tour took place, as the archive clearly shows. The area he toured stretching from England to Syria was a map of different kinds of viewers, viewer investments for church. And moving farther away from Palestine also meant distancing himself from the central weight of doctrinal geopiety. The obvious counterexample comes in connection with the other great site of antiquities visited by church on his trip, Greece. Though he visited several locations in the Peloponnese as well as the Ionian Islands, the vast majority of the photographs, like the vast majority of his artistic output there is dedicated to Athens in general and the Parthenon in particular. Church was clearly dazzled by the experience of the Parthenon, which he called, and these are his words in a letter, which he hardly ever describes anything in his letters, certainly the culmination of the genius of man in architecture. Every column, every ornament, every molding asserts the superiority of the once proud temple over all other buildings, unquote. Once again, an imaginative framework finds past and present recreating the once proud temple, but now shifting its motivation in Goodman's terms from description to depiction. Now, while Church's photographic collection contains prints by a number of well-known photographers, both Greek and Western, it is dominated by the work of an American, indeed a former student of Church, William J. Stillman. Stillman arrived in Athens just months before Church and almost immediately began the project of obsessively photographing the Athenian Acropolis that was ultimately published in 1870 in his book, The Acropolis of Athens. It's quite likely the two, Church and Stillman, met in Athens. More important, Stillman's approach to the monument bears a notable similarity to that of Church. For example, an oil sketch by Church of the North Peristyle of the Parthenon presents a narrow vista constrained by the ashlar blocks of the walls, severely framing the vista of a lone column and entablature fragmenting the sky. In his almost exactly coeval photographs, Stillman frequently took a similar viewpoint as in these two examples from points within the same monument. Church owned prints of both of these images, and surely they had some contribution to his painting of the Parthenon done the following year in 1871. But Church's eventual choice of viewpoint for his painting forsakes the strict linearity and symmetry that were Stillman's gospel for a diagonal, almost axonometric view that looks into the monuments. 
which you saw a second ago, and you'll see again in a minute. Strikingly, on Stillman's revisiting and rephotographing the Acropolis in 1882, which you'll see down there in the lower right-hand corner, Stillman took almost the same viewpoint as churches. There's, there's painting you saw in connection with the later Stillman photograph. Thus creating a sort of visual dialogue between the dispossessed student and his one-time teacher. Now, a last section of Church's photos are devoted to places he never visited, but which played a role in the imaginative geography he inhabited. After his return to America, Church spent much of the 1870s and 1880s imagining, planning, and realizing Olana. The architectural photographs in his collection, like this one of a window, this one stereograph of window treatment in Cairo, um, in a country Church never visited, play as much a role in its creation as the treatises on Islamic, Hindu, and other architectural traditions in Church's library. Indeed, it might not be too much to say that the material photographic objects embellished his house and served as oriental reference, here's his house, in a way that supplemented the many related objects, military and domestic implements, statuary, calligraphy, textiles, etc., displayed throughout the house. Olana, that is, itself belongs to the same archival totality as Church's photo collection. In fact, a painting from Church's late work bears a trace of the same, quote-unquote, systematic kind of viewing. Church's last large-scale picture, based on the imagery of his Mediterranean trip, is the Aegean Sea, made around 1877, um, eight years after his return. The work does not offer or even claim a particular locale so much as it gathers together various sites of Church's travels. A Petra-like rock-cut tomb at lower left, ancient Roman columns at right, like Palmyra or Baalbek, while in the background a classical temple juts out from a hill, like the Parthenon or other Greek temples. One even sees at upper right the dome and minaret by the water that are a trademark of Istanbul, a city church also visited and collected photos of, though never making a large-scale painting. In this final work, then, whole collapses into parts, as referent collapses into signifiers and place into memory. Perhaps more important for our terms, the world outside the house is summoned, if not regulated, by the sense and process of the archive to be found within. Thanks very much.